Turn in your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 5. Mark, the fifth chapter. <clears throat> Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for the joy and privilege being God's children by faith. We pray Thou wilt open the Word of God to us tonight. Should there be even one person here who is not certain beyond the shadow of a doubt that he's saved, may Thy Spirit deal with his heart and draw him to Christ. And may every believer here enter into a new dimension of life in Christ as we think about our Savior, the Lord Jesus, a friend of sinners. We ask it in His name. Amen. <clears throat> in Mark, Mark chapter 5, we have an unveiling of what I believe is the theme of the entire book of Mark. Actually, I guess we could choose other texts, but this passage so clearly illustrates Jesus, the friend of sinners. And they came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. And when he was come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. For he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou tormentest me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was near unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the demons besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirit went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. <clears throat> and they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the demon and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told how it befell to him that was possessed with the demon and also concerning the swine. And they began to implore him to depart out of their midst. And when he was come into the boat... He that had been possessed with the demons immediately implored him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus permitted him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends. Tell them what great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed 
and began to publish in Decapolis what things, what great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. We have been for some time now in a series of studies in the book of Mark. You remember that Mark was that man who had deserted Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. His home was in Jerusalem. He was a son of Mary. It was at Mark's home that that interesting experience took place when Peter was in prison and the church met to pray for his release. And while they were praying, the angel of God released Peter from prison and he came and knocked on the door. A young lady named Rhoda went to the door and saw Peter and she came back and said to those that were praying for Peter's release, Peter's out front knocking at the door. And they said, oh, it couldn't be Peter. He's in prison. He's in prison. Couldn't be Peter. Must be his ghost. Now we know that those were Baptist prayer meetings because they didn't really expect God to answer what they were praying for. I'm saying that facetiously because I believe around here, many of you in prayer believe God to give what we ask him. When Mark had deserted on that first missionary journey, Barnabas took him and later went down to Cyprus and poured his life into young Mark so that later toward the end of Paul's missionary work, when he was an older man in prison in Rome, he wrote back to Timothy and said, Timothy, send Mark, bring Mark with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And it was the pouring of the life of Barnabas into the very fiber and makeup and constitution and spiritual life of Mark that enabled Mark later to be profitable for the ministry. Tradition tells us that Mark was closely associated in his later life with Peter. And thus, much of what is written in this gospel, according to Mark, is a, an account given as the Holy Spirit used Simon Peter to impress the life of Mark. Now there are some highlights in the gospel according to Mark that make it apparent that this gospel could very well be called the gospel of Jesus, the friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And the greatest thing that can be said about you, about me, is that we are a friend of sinners and a friend to sinners. We could go on and on tonight in outlining the Gospel of Mark that indicate Jesus, the friend of sinners. For instance, the Gospel begins in chapter 1 with John the Baptist. John the Baptist mingling and preaching to sinners and urging them to repent of sin, calling them to repentance. The first disciples chosen were fishermen, Andrew and Simon, and Andrew first went and found Simon. Both of them were fishers. They used to say, a sailor, well, you know the old adage, uh, you cuss like a sailor? That's probably not true. I know you spent a lot of time in the service, in the Navy, right? Uh, but uh, that's an adage. And there are a lot of people who talk about the rough life of a fisherman. And the fishermen in those days were honorary guys. And many of them just lived any old way. As a matter of fact, some of Simon Peter's old habits came back the night Jesus was betrayed and was on trial. 
and he began to curse and swear. Where'd all that come from? It came as a hangover from his old life. And every one of us who has ever sown seeds to the flesh, who have ever allowed the control of Satan upon our lives, have to sit on the tombstone where we bury that sin, lest it come back into our lives to haunt us. We think of the focus Mark makes on healing. The men at Capernaum who was healed, the leper who was healed, the paralyzed man who was healed, Jairus' daughter who was raised from the dead, the woman who just wanted to touch the hem of his garment to be healed, the Syrophoenician woman's daughter who was raised, and the healing of the deaf and mute man. We think of the blind man, and on and on, the emphasis and focus on healing in the Gospel of Mark lead us to understand that in every one of these incidents, Jesus was a friend of sinners. He, he literally invested his life when he was here in men who were sinners. The miracles of Jesus described in the book of Mark, the 5,000 fed, the 4,000 fed, the walking on the water, all of these indications of his concern for sinful men. The call of Matthew, the tax collector. Everybody hated the tax collectors. And, uh, you know, people are not much different today. The IRS men come around and, uh, you know, eyebrows are raised and so on. Well, in those days, the IRS men were uh, much worse than they are today. <clears throat> in those days, the Roman government would give permission for, for instance, they'd say to, uh, to a, a, a Jew, if you'll work for us and collect taxes, we want $100. Now, you can collect 200 if you want to, or 500, or 1,000, or 2,000, whatever you can collect. You just give us 100. And so those tax collectors were at their own will to collect whatever they wanted to collect. And they had the law of the Rome, Roman government behind them. And the Jews hated the Roman tax collector, the, the Jewish tax collectors who were employed by the Roman government. And Jesus came into the city of Capernaum, and he saw Matthew sitting at the tax collector's office, and he said, come and follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And a little while, and Matthew followed him. And a little while later, Jesus went to the, to the supper that was made, prepared by Matthew. And who was there? All of Matthew's friends were there. Listen, you win somebody to Jesus, and then get him to get you in touch with his friends. He knows where the sinners are. Sometimes we who have been saved for a while are so sheltered. We do not really have many friends who are lost. We don't know where they are. You find somebody that gets saved, and if they get really a dose of Jesus Christ in their lives, Christ, the friend of sinners inside of them, will want to extend their arms out to others who are lost in sin. And so it was with Matthew, the tax collector. He extended his arms out, and he got them all together. And he said, Jesus, here they are. Now, you talk to them. And the Lord Jesus sat down at supper with tax collectors and sinners and publicans and some of the Pharisees came along and said, Oh, if this were really the Son of God, He wouldn't be in this supper. He'd know that these were sinners. And the public, the tax collector, or rather the Pharisees, completely missed the point because the reason Jesus was there was because He's a friend of sinners. Jesus loves sinful men. One of the greatest hymns in our hymn book, Sinners Jesus Will Receive. Sound this word of grace to all. Those who leave the heavenly path, Christ receiveth sinful men. 
And just as he did it in the long ago, he does it, he does it again tonight. And then Jesus warned about hell. The Lord talked more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. The only thing we know about heaven is what Jesus said about heaven. But the only thing we also know about hell is what Jesus said about hell. And if you say you believe in heaven, but you don't believe in hell, then you're just going on the figment of your own fantasies. Because you're saying you're sort of living in a make-believe world. You want that which pleases you, but you don't want that which pleases God or which is the Word of God. The Scripture tells us much about heaven. But the thing it tells us about heaven are the words of Jesus. And the Scripture tells us much about hell. And Jesus, because he was a friend of sinners, talked about hell, the tragedy of hell, the awful abyss of hell. And he warned men, it is better to cut your hand off and enter into life maimed than to go into hell whole. And obviously the Lord was using that as a figure to tell us about how terrible and tragic hell really is. But the real focus that I want to, want to bring your attention to tonight is in Mark, the fifth chapter. Just one illustration of Jesus, the friend of sinners. And I want you to notice this evening the conflict, the confrontation, and the commission in the life of this sinful man. First of all, the conflict. Jesus came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. Now, when one boards a boat or a ship on the Sea of Galilee at Tiberias, and he goes out in the middle of that sea, if he looks north, directly north, he will see in the, in the way in the distance the snow-capped mountains of Hermon. Just at the end of the Sea of Galilee is the city of Capernaum, and just to the east of that city is what is called the Mount of Beatitudes or the plain of Beatitudes where the Sermon on the Mount was, was preached the first time. But if one looks over the other way, across the sea, he can see the country of the Gadarenes. And that country is desolate. It is barren, made up of barren hills. Today, it is what is called Golan Heights. And when you read about the Golan Heights in the newspaper, you're reading about the country of the Gadarenes, the very country of the Gerasenes, the place where this incident took place. And when the Lord entered into that place, there came a man who was left among the tombs. Now notice this man, he, his parents, his family, his friends had all deserted him. He was out of his mind. He was filled with devil. He was, he was demon-possessed. And he was filled with sin. And his life was so upset and so barren and so lonely, he had nobody that cared. Nobody. His family had decided to forsake him and leave him out there to wander among the graves and to wander among the, the barren hills of the Gadarenes. And the Scripture describes him. I want you to notice these verses and the way the Scripture describes him. Listen to him. In verse 2, he had an unclean spirit. Verse 2, verse 3, he was dwelling among the tombs. No man could bind him. No, not with chains. He was wild. 
Verse 4, the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him like a wild, ferocious animal. And in verse 5, he was always night and day in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. Now this is a description of the man. So out of his mind, so deranged, so lonely, and nobody to care. And then Jesus came. Now I want to tell you tonight, there's not one man, one woman, one boy, one girl, one old man, one old woman anywhere in this world tonight who is so utterly depraved and so beside himself with self and sin and the devil and hell and so chained by the fetters of habit but that when Jesus comes, he can break those fetters and chains because Jesus is a friend of sinners. Wherever they are, whoever they are, whatever their description, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Sin brings conflict in the human life. Man is body, soul, and spirit. We're a trichotomy. Dr. Adrian Rogers, the great pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church the other day, made a statement very significant. He said, God has so left his image upon this world that everything is Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he used many, many other illustrations among them was what we know about man. Man also is Trinity. Body, soul, spirit. Now, an animal's not like that. But every place that God left his image stamped, there's Trinity. And in man, man's body is his biology. Man's soul is his psychology, his self-consciousness. Man's spirit is his God-consciousness, his ability to be in fellowship with God. And this is all mixed up when a man's a sinner, when a man's outside of Christ. The conflict between the body and the soul and the spirit, they're in such turmoil with one another and with so much confusion that there can never really be the kind of life that honors Jesus Christ. Because the only thing that can set that man right is for an invasion from outer space to come and dwell inside of here. Keep in mind, please, that to become a Christian is not to follow Jesus. There's a song we sing, I'm following Jesus every day and all that, and that's a good song, I like it. It's a good discipleship song, but that's not how to become a Christian. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, or if you're here and you're a church member, and you've wondered whether you're really saved or not, I want to tell you, if all you're doing is following Jesus, you can quit following many days. And if that's what you think makes you a Christian, then you could be lost after you're saved. But to become a Christian doesn't mean that you're following Jesus. It means that you have received Jesus inside of you and he lives inside of you. And he lives his life through you. And it is only when Christ came into that man in the tombs who was wandering wild like a wild man, only when Christ came in could there be any change this conflict within man the conflict brought there by sin destroys man's mind it destroys man's talents it destroys man's better self and it certainly destroys his spirit and takes him down 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 away from God and the ultimate 
the ultimate destruction is wasted years and a wasted eternity. And the man in this picture, in this story, was headed in that direction until Jesus came. Now I want you to notice not only the conflict, but the confrontation. Beginning in verse 6, And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Now there was in that man a desire for something he didn't have. He didn't run and worship. Isn't that interesting? He didn't want to run and worship the disciples. Isn't that something? There was something in his heart that was drawn to Jesus. Now remember, he was filled with a devil. And when he came to Jesus, the devil inside of him cried out, Look at that. What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For Jesus had said to the man, Thou unclean spirit, come out. And that's when the confrontation really got into battle lines. And that's what happens in our lives today. When a man really comes face to face with Jesus, and oh, listen, he can't, that can't happen unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit, unless the Spirit of God is controlling our lives, unless we are saturated with the Spirit. You take an oil lamp, and that wick is not going to burn unless that wick is saturated with the oil. Now, the oil may be there all along, but unless that wick is saturated with the oil, the, the, it's not going to burn. So with our lives, the oil of the Holy Spirit is available. The oil of the Holy Spirit is within us. But unless we allow Him to saturate our very being, saturate our very life, others are not going to see Jesus and they're not going to be attracted to Him. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to saturate our lives, to control our lives, the Christ-controlled life. Watchman Nee calls it the normal Christian life. Others call it the exchange life. Some have called it being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Whatever you call it. We won't quibble over what you call it, but what we do is need it. We need the power, the touch of the Holy Spirit upon our lives to give our ministry effectiveness, to give our witness luster. And when Jesus went there among the tombs, Remember, he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb without any measure, totally, completely. He was God incarnate in human flesh. And the devil's legion, the demons inside of him recognized him for what he was. They knew him. And they said, what are we to do with thee, thou Jesus, thou Son of the Most High? I adjure thee, leave me alone. Isn't that the way many, many people react to the gospel? You go out and knock on somebody's door. And they come and see you, and you're filled with God. Sometimes they're really hungry, and they say, please come in. I've been waiting for you to come. I've had that experience. Other times they'll say, I'm not interested. There's a family in our church that are active, very active. They're here almost every service. First time I ever knocked on their door, they slammed the door in my face. Second time I knocked on the door, they just left the door, a little crack in the door and wanted to know what I wanted. That happened again and again and again but God's Holy Spirit moved in them. Now, this is the way it is. This is what you can expect when you go out to deal with sin-filled men who are controlled by the devil. Don't ever allow a lost man to offend you. Sometimes we Christians get offended at each other. That's sad. But I won't tell you it's tragic when you allow a lost man to offend you because he's blind and he's brooded over by the devil. Don't allow that man to offend you so that you get mad at somebody who is not saved. Just love him. Pray for him. Pray down those walls that separate you. 
And then he saw Jesus. And Jesus took control of the situation. He commanded that the demons come out of that man. Now, in order for a man to get saved, the devil has to be dethroned. Before a man is saved, he is the child of the devil. In order for a person to be saved, the devil has to be dethroned and Christ has to be enthroned. If all becoming a Christian means is that you start following Jesus and you give up a few bad habits and you do this and that and the other, the devil would be glad for you to do that. Matter of fact, have you ever noticed the liquor industry? The men they put forward to advertise are not the old drunks, are they? No, they're the finest looking men or the men of extinction. You ought to say that. They call them the men of distinction. And they try to make everybody look like, boy, he's really something. See, the devil doesn't want his old, his old messed up crowd that are living in skid roll. He doesn't use them to advertise his products. He uses only the elite. And if, if, if the devil, if, if, all, if following Jesus simply means you, you reform yourself or you correct your old bad habits and you leave this off and this off and the other off, well, the devil could imitate that. I'd a lot rather see a man really get right with God and have Jesus come into his heart and still have problems with the old flesh and some problems with these outside habits and let Christ, the controlling power of the Holy Spirit, little by little slough them off on the outside as long as that heart is made right with God. And Jesus called the man and when those demons inside realized that that man was hungry, oh, listen, this old boy, he was, on, he was not in his right mind. And he was chained and, and with habits, and he was in fetters of the devil. But deep down inside his lonely heart, there was something he wanted. And he wanted God so much. And he came. And when the devil inside of that man realized that Jesus was going to cast him out, he said, uh, the devil really would like to spend his time. And this is a, a tremendous spiritual truth to us if we have the ears to hear it and heart to understand it. The devil wants to operate in your life like a hog or a dog. And the standards of this world, listen young people, please, a heart cry from the soul of this man who loves you. The, the way of the world, the way the devil would like to operate is to make you like a dog or a hog. And he's pleased when you live like that. And the kind of standards you see in the television and in the movies are the standards of hogs and dogs, not the standards of God. And the devil wants you to live like a dog. Now, he wants you to be a pretty dog, all perfumed and fluffed up and red, real, red, me, red, made real pretty, wear a little bow around your neck, come into the house, be a house dog, be house trained. So you can really act like something, but all along inside of you, there's the nature of a dog. And that's the way the devil wants you to live. You ever watch the dogs? All too often, that's the way men and women live. That's the way teenagers live. Listen, young people, 
I just pray that God's Holy Spirit will burn into your heart tonight this message. The devil would like nothing better than for you to give away the purity of your heart and mind and life while you're a young teen and live in a life of experimentation and have any kind of life you want, live it up, do whatever you want, live like a dog. That's what the devil wants. And some of you have been right on the border of just going right on. And I want to tell you something else. If you find it easy to do that, you better check up on your salvation because Jesus may not be on the, on the throne of your life. If you find that when you can do that, there's no real hurt in your soul and no call of God's Holy Spirit to tug at your heart and call you back to righteousness and to repentance, then you may not be saved. Oh, wise is that man, woman, boy, or girl discovers before it's too late that he's not really saved, he's not really God's child. Because Jesus is a friend of sinners. He loves you. He loves you. And he loved this man. And those demons said, could we get into the hogs? And I believe Jesus allowed this to happen in order for us to learn a parable that that's really the way the devil wants men to live. You see, that's the way that man was living out there in the tombs, wasn't he? Living like a hog, living like a dog, living like a wild animal. And when, when he found out that Christ was going to move into this man's life and control him, he said, let us go and live in the hogs. And that's what the devil says tonight. And even be saying it to you. And I want you to notice, Jesus cared for this man. He loved him. Oh, it would have been easy for Jesus to just left, left him. It wasn't very beautiful. It wasn't very nice looking. You ever tried to work with somebody that was down in the debauchery of sin? Vomit all over them. Drunk. Somebody who's messed their life, the purity of their life all up. Somebody who's about to give away to the dregs of the temptation of Satan. Not very beautiful. But that's where Jesus is. That's where he is tonight. Thank God. Thank God for those who began the Salvation Army years ago in England and London, went down there and literally lived among the sinful. Thank God for the great Pacific Garden Mission that has not closed its doors since 1889 in all these years not even closed their doors one hour, but day and night since 1889, the old lighthouse has been open to the derelicts who end up in Chicago. We need an ambulance down in the valley, but we need a fence up on the mountain to keep those from going over. Tenderly, lovingly, Jesus loves you. And I would plead with you tonight to give the best of your life to Christ. Jesus moved in on this man. He told the hogs, told the demons they could get into the hogs. And the hogs went rushing down the steep hill and they went into the sea and all the hogs drowned down there. And that's exactly what the devil wants to do to you. He wants to drown your life in sin. He wants to destroy your life. And the ultimate end of a man who allows the devil to have power in his life 
is a wasted life and a wasted eternity. Wasted years, oh, how tragic. Wasted years, oh, how sad. But how much sadder a wasted eternity. Now, I want you to notice part of this confrontation has to be with the men who owned those halls. The people who lived in that section saw it. And here was this old, this old guy that had been uh, just suddenly changed. The demons were cast out. And he immediately knew that he didn't have any clothes on, so he went and got some clothes. And this incident is a good testimony. When you get saved, God puts some clothes on you. Women, men, God will put some clothes on you. He'll, he'll, he'll look different. A Christian ought to look different, smell different, act different. Everything about him ought to be different. And this guy got saved, he got changed, the devil got cast out, and he got some clothes on. And when the men came out here and saw that man with the clothes on, and they saw the hogs rushing down the hill, and they were drowned, and well, they didn't know what to make of it. And so, you know what they did? The Scripture says they came to Jesus and begged him to leave their parts. You see, they'd rather have their hogs than a man clothed in his right mind. And very frankly, that's the way the world is, even to this very night. That's the way the world is. The world, your friends at school, your friends in the factory, those fair-weather friends who, are, who think of you as a jolly good fellow because you laugh at their dirty jokes and you live like they do and nobody ever knows it because you're in different circles from those that, you, that, that know you at church. And they want to keep you living for the devil. If you ever get changed, they don't know what to make of you. They, they don't understand. And these men didn't understand this new man clothed in his right mind. Jesus, a friend of sinners, had moved in on his life. The last scene in this story is the commission Jesus gave. Verse 18, when he was coming to the boat, he that had been possessed with the demon implored Jesus that he might be with him. And isn't that just like a new Christian? Hey, Lord, I want to be with you. I just want to be with you. I want to be with you all the time. He implored him, Lord, I want to be with you. But Jesus permitted him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them what great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. That was the commission, go and tell. And the man did it. He went out and told what great things Jesus had done. That's God's plan for us. When we get saved, when Christ changes our lives, and he wants us to go and tell. Go everywhere we can and tell others about Jesus because he's the friend of sinners. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Out there, out there, on some great avenue in this city, behind some $80,000 home, there's somebody lonely, filled with the devil, on their way to a wasted years and a wasted life. Let's go find them. 
Sometimes we give a testimony that says, I found Jesus, but really Jesus finds us. And you know how he finds us? He finds us through somebody else. He found you through somebody else. That's right. Let's go find them. There's somebody maybe living up on one of those little old hut places down on Main Street, up on the second or third floor, back there with, with just one little room. They're living alone. Let's go find them. Tell them God loves them. Jesus loves them. Some time ago, my heart was greatly moved. I was called for a funeral over at the funeral home of an old man who had died. I didn't, I didn't think I knew him. I didn't remember him. And he had no family, but he had a couple of friends that had lived with him down in that section of the city. And when I was called, I didn't recognize the name. I knew nothing about him, really. But then, when I met some of the folks that were there, just a few, just maybe four or five people were there, came to the funeral. Some of them said, the reason we called you, because do you remember, several years ago, you used to have a crossroads mission down on Main Street. Some of you remember that. We used to go down on Friday night, sometimes Saturday night, preach on the street, had a little mission place there, and invited folks in there. Matter of fact, Lonnie Mattingly preached his first sermon in that, in that place, Crossroads Rescue Mission. They said, uh, this man was a drunk on Main Street. He's often in jail. He said he remembered that some of your fellows had been up to jail to see him. They saw, he saw those same fellows down there on Main Street trying to witness. And it really impressed him. He said one night he came in to that little mission. And he said, uh, we don't know who preached. He said that night the man's heart was moved. He came home later and told us that he gave his heart to Jesus. He said, if anything ever happens to me, call Glendale. A man who had nobody that cared. I didn't even remember him. I don't even know whether the man that preached that night would remember him. But God knew he had a need. I want to ask you, let's reach out to people wherever the needs are. There are lonely people. There are people who are frightened. There are people who are filled with self and filled with the devil. And they don't know that they want us. They don't know that they need us. But Jesus is looking for them, and he wants to use us to get to them. And when we have been found, then he says, you go and tell what great things Christ hath done for you. And if we'll go and tell, there'll be hundreds and hundreds saved. Oh, God, help this church to care, to go. Go on Main Street. Go on Highland Drive. Go on the avenues, on Morning Glory, and wherever the people are in the city. And then let's go out to the county, and out to the state, and out to the regions beyond, out to Taiwan, and Korea, and Japan, and around the world. And free men from their fetters, their slavery and sin. May we pray.
you're here tonight and you've never, never really been freed from sin yourself, never been freed from the slavery of the devil, I want to urge you to give your heart to Jesus now. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He'll cleanse you. He'll save you. Will you come to him? And if you're already a saved person, you already know the Lord, would you tonight just say, Lord, I want to yield what I am to thee and promise you that you can use me to go and tell. There may be some here who need just a moment and a commitment of recommitment, rededication. You've been right on the brink of throwing your life away in unholy living, unholy alliances. Would you ask God to take complete control tonight? He'll do it if you're willing to repent and turn to Him. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that right now somebody somewhere would turn to Jesus. May this be God's night of victory. In Christ's name, amen. May we stand, please. We're going to sing God's invitation. And as we sing, the invitation is open to you. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed from the O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Would you come like you are? your sins and your heartaches and your sorrows, your bondage, and allow him to liberate you, free you. He wants to, he's willing, because Jesus is a friend of sinners. Beloved friend, if you're already a Christian, you're saved. Are you going and telling like he told us to do? Can the master really use you are we at his disposal? Let's ask him to use us. Whatever God's Holy Spirit has said to you tonight, activate it by committing yourself to it. While we begin to sing, pray, will you step out for Christ tonight? God help you to do it.